When I was growing up, one of my favorite movies to watch was The Wizard of Oz. It came on once a year. I remember being scared to death of those flying monkeys. I remember that. <laughs> remember the scene where Dorothy had just arrived in Oz after the tornado. The whole place turned to color and she began to see the munchkins poking their heads out of the flowers. She was holding her little dog in her arms and said to her dog, Toto, I have a feeling that we're not in Kansas anymore. Dorothy looked around and discovered that everything was different from what she was used to. You ever wake up and look around and say the same thing that Dorothy did? Living in a strange new world that does not resemble anything that I remember it being like, the land where we grew up had more of a Christian influence, didn't it? I mean, there was a, a, a very big Christian influence. and It was reflected in the society that we lived in. Well, guess what? That Kansas is no more. A matter of fact, instead of Kansas, our home resembles more like Babylon, doesn't it? The Daniel and his three friends were exiled too. Well, today we're going to start a, a new series of messages on the book of Daniel. In this book, Daniel and his three friends face constant pressure to conform to the political correctness of Babylon. They were pressured in every way to fit into the society around them. Their names were even changed to be more Babylonian. What could they do? How were they going to survive in this brave new Babylon world? Well, we're starting this series called Living in Babylon. Even though this story occurs 2,500 years ago, as we look around at our world, we can say the same thing. We're living in Babylon. We're going to today look at Surrounded by an enemy culture in Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read that passage of scripture for you this morning. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God. And he brought the articles into the treasure house of his God. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. To them the chief of the eunuchs gave names. He gave Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Let's pray. Today, Father, as we look into this passage of Scripture, as these young men were carted off to Babylon, 
they were surrounded by an enemy culture. Father, help us to look around and see how we can survive in our enemy culture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the initial invasion that King Nebuchadnezzar, and it happened about 605 B.C. The Babylonians took the gold in the temple, but something else was of value that they took. He wanted some of the young men from Judah who were princes, sons of princes and nobles, perhaps to be loyal and valuable workers in his kingdom. Among them, four were named in the book. We don't know how many he took total, but four were named, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They were taken away nearly 800 miles from Jerusalem all the way to Babylon. They were a long way from home, and everything was different. The culture that they were living in was an ungodly enemy culture. Let's look at the temptation that they faced of this ungodly culture. Now, a verse that seems to be strange is verse 2. God allowed this to happen. As a matter of fact, I believe it is God's sovereign judgment on Judah and Jerusalem that they were carted off to Babylon. As a matter of fact, if you read the prophets, like last week we were looking at uh, the prophet Jeremiah, he predicted that to happen. But look at verse 2 in Daniel 1. The Lord gave Jehoiakim king of Judah. Now, last week we heard about Jehoiakim. You know who Jehoiakim was. He was the one that cut the scriptures up and threw it into the fire. And he was the one that had the front end of this invasion. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his, meaning the Babylonian king's hand, with some of the articles of the house of God. Now, this past, this event was predicted by a lot of the prophets. As a matter of fact, it happened that Isaiah the prophet in chapter 39, verses 6 through 8. Now, Hezekiah was a good king. Hezekiah was a good king. But one day he was feeling pretty good about himself and he had some dignitaries visiting from Babylon and he wanted to show off all the treasures of the kingdom. So he invited the dignitaries to come into the temple and said, look at the gold that is here that we have and look how powerful we are. And of course, these Babylonians said, note to self, they've got lots of gold. If we ever come back here, this is the first place we're going to hit. Notice in Isaiah 39, verse 6 through 8, behold, the days are coming. This is Isaiah speaking to Hezekiah. When all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon, nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you and from you will beget, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Hey, it happened, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord, which you have spoken, is good. Okay, I'll accept that. But notice what he says after that. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. 
As long as it doesn't happen on my watch, it's good. You know, a lot of times we think, wow, I've already been through that. I'm not going to be around very long, so I don't care what this world does. I don't care how the culture is crumbling because I'm about ready to go to heaven as long as, you know, I'm... And that was his idea, Hezekiah. But all those young people are facing this. You know, I think in, in our culture today, we have that same mentality. We are, sometimes we get this idea that God can't judge us. God, because we have been a Christian nation. Well, what about his chosen people? He judged his chosen people. Someone said, if God doesn't judge America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah because he did judge them, and he judged his own people. And I think that we have to see that it's very possible. Notice, secondly, Nebuchadnezzar had a program of indoctrination for these young men that they abducted from the land of, of Judah. Now, they, it included incredible personal trauma because these young men were made eunuchs, if you know what I'm talking about. They were, so they were subjected to a three-year training course to make them totally Babylonian. He wanted to wash all of that godly background out of them. Their Hebrew culture and customs and laws, their language, their dress, their history, their belief and loyalty to God. This educational program included the study of agriculture, architecture, astrology, astronomy, law, mathematics, and the difficult Akkadian language. It was definitely like a brainwashing program, and all the hours of the day were steeped in Babylonian indoctrination. And they were trying to squeeze these Hebrew boys into the, the mold of the Babylonians and make them just like them. You know, that's exactly what the world is trying to do to us as well. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know, God is telling us we need to resist that constant uh, pressure to squeeze us into the mold of the world. First John two fifteen and 16 tells us this about our culture. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but of the world. Do not conform. Do not love. Do not be friends with the world. The overwhelming problem in today's church is worldliness, or I could call it Babylonianism. We love the world. It's our friend. We love its pleasures. Yet, how do we resist? How does a worldly Christian act? When you laugh at a dirty joke, you're becoming 
laughing at the things of the world when you spend hours in front of screens, screens and no time in the Word of God? When Hollywood, Las Vegas, and Disneyland, and Wall Street are more important places than the New Jerusalem in Scripture? When you begin to accept abortion, the gay agenda, immorality as legitimate choices, you begin worldly. When you sin doesn't bother you anymore, you lose the ability to blush. When you choose a church based on the entertainment value rather than faithfulness to the Scripture... Worldliness doesn't have as much to do with externals like we put on your body, but what philosophy rules your heart? Nebuchadnezzar had a plan and a program to make these God followers adopt and conform to the culture, and so does Satan. Temptations abound to conform to the enemy culture. But let's look at Nebuchadnezzar's target for this ungodly culture. Babylon recognized the potential and value of youth. I noticed something here in the scriptures. Nebuchadnezzar did not storm into the nursing homes and cart off the old folks to train them, did he? He gathered the young people, the most likely the 13 to 15-year-old category. Why? Well, they're more moldable. They represent the future. They weren't thinking about uh, the old folks. As a matter of fact, one of the things we say every Tuesday night for the kids in our Awana program, you know, we are the future church, you know. That's, that's true. And, and Babylon knew that these young people were the future, so we're going to mold them into our ways of doing things. They also recognize the extreme vulnerability of you. Not only their potential, but they're more trainable. The older citizens of Judah would be set in their ways and set in their faith. Waste, it would be a waste of time to try to re-educate them. But kids are sharp with sponge-like minds. They'll soak up new information and philosophies. They will tend to believe what you tell them. Adolf Hitler was no dummy. He started a Hitler youth program that was in the early days of Nazi Germany. They, be, they began to be indoctrinated into Nazi ideology, including racism. The Hitler Youth uh, appropriated many of the activities that the Boy Scouts were doing, which they ended up banning in 1935 in Germany, included camping and hiking. But over time, it began to change in content and intention. For example, many of the activities closely resembled military training with weapons training, assault course circuits, and basic tactics. The aim was to turn the, this youth group into motivated soldiers. Hitler was no dummy. He knew he would get the young people. Understand that Babylon still wants our children. Once in a while on your phone... Sometimes when you're driving on the interstate, you will hear what is called an amber alert. And that's when somebody snatched a child. And everybody is supposed to watch and, and see a vehicle that was a, a description in the description of the child and their age. The child has been abduct, ab, abducted. I tell you, our culture wants our to snatch our children. 
There's pressure, intense pressure, that these young men had to undergo to conform to that enemy culture. What type of pressure did Daniel and his three friends had to face? The first pressure is in verse 4. They were free from boundaries. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick understanding, who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, who they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. They were carted off away from family. No synagogue services, no temple services, nothing that, that would have their traditional feast days and holidays, no friends around except the ones that had come with them, no uh, religious instruction, no family support, no fences around their behavior at all. They were away from all of that. Once in a while, you'll see on the news that someone was fell asleep or they weren't watching their toddler and somehow that toddler got out of the house with just a diaper on and they were walking down the highway. Ever hear about those things and everybody gasps. They got out. They're wandering around and we wonder how in the world that kind of thing happened. Well, there was no boundaries around these young people that were there. And I think the same way as Sometimes we need to pray for our kids going off to college and those that are in the military. They're uh, they're away from family structure and away from church, and we need to pray this hedge around these young people that are out there without this this family structure, and the, the pressures to conform are intense. Also, there was a focus on earthly wisdom. They were to learn the language and the literature of the Chaldeans a new way of thinking. Remember back home, they had the Mosaic Law. They had a theocratic view of life. In Babylon, it was, it was no God, or at least it wasn't the, the God of the Bible, but all of the literature and all of their philosophies, all of their way of thinking was anti-God or away from God or a different kind of values at all. And they had that mom and dad and the folks back home and back in the religious environment. Sometimes it was something that was no longer taught there. They were also a fascination with appetites. Look at verse 5. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank. They were going to literally eat like kings and drink like kings. None of this uh, bear getting by, feeding the prisoners, whatever. No, whatever the king had, these guys were asked to participate in. And the king appointed that. And as I look at this thing, this is the same kind of pressure that we are faced with an appetite. Enjoy all that life has to offer you. Enjoy the best. It could do with the promotion of life of pleasure and luxury. A party lifestyle is a temptation. A materialistic life. You deserve this. Grab for it. You only go, go around once in life. You might as well treat yourself to the best. An addiction to things, obsessed with self-gratification, that was the temptation that they 
faced. Now, it doesn't say this. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to get into their response to that. But just imagine the pressure. And they looked at all of this wonderful stuff to partake in that they've never ate before. There was probably pork chops on the menu, you know? They probably had shrimp cocktail. I don't know how far the ocean was for there. But they had things that were not on the Jewish diet they were not supposed to eat. But just imagine that temptation to just go for it. And that's the same kind of pressure that you and I, and especially our young people, are facing. Just embrace all of the good things, all of the, the pleasurable things of life. And then the fourth thing here is a forgetfulness of God. In verse 6, it says, Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then they changed their names. Daniel, whose name means God, has judged. They changed to Belteshazzar. Hananiah, whose name means Yahweh, has been gracious, they changed to Shadrach. Mishael, who is what God is, they changed to Meshach. Azariah, Yahweh has helped, was changed to Abednego. The name of the true and living God was replaced by names that had false gods of Babylon in them. They attempted to deconstruct their faith. And folks, that's what our society is trying to do to our young people. Deconstruct what God and Sunday school and church and parents have tried to build into our young people. The world out there is trying to take it apart one philosophy at a time. Next week we're going to get into it a little bit more. But how should we respond to this constant drumbeat of the Babylonian culture? We are in a real war. It's called the culture war. And that simply means a fundamental struggle to define the future of civilization. We may not want to be in the war, but we are because we have, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, a biblical worldview where there are certain things that God's word is clear about that we, we need to believe, we need to practice but there is also the predominant culture of the day, which is in education, which is kind of into politics and a lot of the, the authority structures of our day that are saying, this is what you need to believe. And more and more, there is antagonism, antagonism towards Christian views. So we need to understand we're in this war. We didn't choose it. We, we are in it, and it's getting more and more divisive in that society, and you'll notice that. It's like um, we must resist the downward pull of our culture. I don't know when the last time you went to the beach and tried to swim out there. You ever get caught in a rip current? You know what a rip current is? Oh, a rip current is a... Is a, is a a current of water that is powerful, and it, it goes straight out from the beach. And you get caught in that, you could get, you could drown in it. So they tell you, don't swim 
swim sideways to the beach so you could get out of that current. It's not very wide, so you just swim sideways to the beach. But it's a constant pull, and we need to resist that downward pull of the ungodly culture that we're in. There is a sexual revolution that is out there that is just getting more and more crazy, and they're not satisfied. They're going to think more and more deviant ways that you need to accept this. We need to resist that as godly, God-fearing people, Bible-believing Christians, uh, not go with the gay agenda, the gender confusion, the right to kill an unborn child. Go against the flow. And I challenge you teens and you parents and you young people to dare to be different. Stay pure sexually till marriage. Don't drink. Don't do drugs. Take that stand against corruption. You know, we, we have to swim out of that, that, that strong current. The late Haddon Robinson said, in the past, we as American Christians always had home field advantage. Remember, you remember when it was that most people in, they might not have been born again, but at least they had some morals and they had some values We knew that in the crowd there were those from other teams who were opposed to us, but the larger stadium crowd of Americans was either on our side or they were indifferent to our our witness uh, as Christians. All that has changed now. We play all of our games on enemy turf. The wider culture sits on the stands shouting hateful epithets at us, rejoicing at our losses. We don't have home field advantage anymore. That Christian America is gone. Either we influence our culture or we will be influenced by it. As I was preparing this uh, book of Daniel, Living in Babylon, and I, I read through this, and I, and I wondered, how did these guys, what, what did God expect them to do? And I looked at four different things that they did as, as God believers, as followers of the true way. They had an intense ministry of prayer. They prayed They prayed for their leaders. They prayed for themselves. They prayed to the God. And and that is one of the weapons we have is praying, resisting uh, by our, our complete reliance on God. They also influenced the culture by their godly lifestyle. Folks, if you live wickedly, the world will not listen to a word you say about Jesus. They they just write you off as a crazy hypocrite. We influence our culture by our godly lifestyle, following the teachings of Jesus, loving our enemies, behaving in an honorable way. Bible-believing Christians need to behave. That's how we influence culture, by our godly living, by our intents. And we also influence our culture by speaking God's word to them. You'll notice the book of Daniel is filled with his dreams. You know what he was doing then? He was speaking God's word 
into that ungodly culture. You know, King, I like you and all, but God's going to strike you with madness and you're going to act like an animal for seven years. And Nebuchadnezzar, you know, I, I know that this is not very nice, but, you know, they're, they're going to treat you. Your fingernails are going to go long, and you're going you're gonna to be crazy, and God's going to judge you. As a matter of fact, uh, he's going to take away the kingdom from you and give it to somebody else. He was speaking truth into the culture. Folks, that's how, what we're supposed to do as well. We need to speak truth into the culture, have an intense ministry of prayer, and also live a godly lifestyle. And one more thing. There are times we've got to resist. There's times we just can't go along with the flow. Now, we're going to study in the book of Daniel how those three Hebrew children, they took the classes. I mean, there was nothing. They didn't resist that. No, we're not going to show up for class today. They took the classes, but they said, would it be possible... Uh, not to eat this kind of meat, and God gave them favor. And there was that negotiation there. But then there was times when they says, okay, bow to this idol. He says, king, I know you're powerful and all that, but uh, our God's able to save us from that fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to bow. And Daniel kept praying. And they thrown him into the den of lions. Folks, there's times when we have to resist the the culture that is around us and Babylon is saying things that we have to stand up. But those are the four ways and four ways that we can live in Babylon. You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians say, well, we'll just, just give in, assimilate. And then some Christians say, well, no, let's just isolate. <laughs> let's just kind of find our own little group here uh, modern-day version of a monastery, you know, and we'll just enjoy each other. We will do everything within our circle and let the rest of the world, you know, do their own thing, and we'll just do our thing and be a, a little Christian commune over here. God has not called us to do that. As a matter of fact, in the book of Jeremiah, when he's predicting all this that's going to happen... He's basically saying, you're going to be here for a while. You might as well unpack your suitcase, get married, and have families, raise children, and pray for your, your leaders. You're going to be here a while. I heard about a Spanish explorer by the name of Hernando Cortez in the year 1519, who arrived in the New World in Mexico with 600 men, and upon arrival, made history by destroying his ships. He got there and destroyed his ships. This sent a clear message to his men. We are here. There's no turning back. We must conquer. Two years later, he succeeded in his conquest of the Aztec Empire. Now, I'm not commending Cortez at all because it was atrocious what he did, but he burned his ships. We're here. We're in this culture. And our job is not to conquer it. Our job is to take the gospel message to the lost of this world and share with them Jesus Christ 
We're not going to go back. One day God's going to come and get us from heaven. But we are living in Babylon. We need to learn how to be that light and to be that salt in our culture. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I want to thank you so much for the book of Daniel that gives us a, a map on how to live in Babylon. And Lord, I know that all of us want to go back to Kansas, but we can't. We're living in Babylon. We're going to be here until Jesus comes and gets us. So give us the courage. Help us to live such a different lifestyle that the world sees Jesus in us. Not obnoxiousness, not hypocrisy. I pray that, Lord, you would help us to learn how every day to be the salt and the light that Jesus wants us to be. I pray in his precious name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing.